Friends, today we conclude our sermon series. Over the last five weeks together, we have been looking at our new mission statement together that came out of our year-long Vision 2020 process that we did as a church family. Um, Together, over the last number of weeks, we've been taking our new mission statement line by line or verse by verse uh, and parsing it down to help us understand what does it mean for us to do these things? How do we live into this together as God's church? And so we continue that today as we come to the end of it. But before we jump into our scripture readings this morning, let us take a moment to bow before the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for your love and for your grace that meets us where we are. You have come for us in Jesus the Christ, that we might know you and that we also might make you known. And so, God, we have come to this place to worship you, and truth be told, you beat us here. You're here now, and you long to speak to us. And so we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and even our hands, that together we would receive you, and that together we would share you as we seek to be your servants. We ask these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and let all of God's children joyfully say, Amen. Friends, our unison scripture reading this morning comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. I invite you to join me in our unison reading this morning. Let us read together. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Our second reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20, apropos for the year 2020. So let us join together and hear God's word. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. "'What is it you want?' he asked. She said, "'Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom.' "'You don't know what you're asking,' Jesus said to them. "'Can you drink the cup I am going to drink?' "'We can,' they answered." Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we begin the message this morning, I want once again to reiterate the importance of our mission statement because part of this is learning it together 
so that we can live into it together. And so you'll find it in your bulletin. You'll see it in the newsletter. But for this purpose, you're going to see it on the screen. And I want to invite you to read it along with me. Friends, we are a family of faith called to grow in the love of Christ, share that good news, and serve the world. And serve the world. As a kid, I was an aspiring basketball superstar, at least in my mind I was. I wanted to be like Mike. Well, Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time. In fact, as a kid, I remember a commercial that was played on television over and over again. It was a Gatorade commercial, actually, that encouraged all of us to be just like Mike. Maybe you remember it, and if you don't, Well, let me show it to you. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I move. I dream I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike. Like Mike. I wanted to be like Mike. Unfortunately, I only was like Mike in the fact that I drank Gatorade. Um, Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time when it comes to basketball, professional basketball. Uh, if anyone wants to argue that with me and tell me LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan, then I will shoot that down in a heartbeat. Michael Jordan is the greatest to ever play the game. Six NBA championships, multiple MVPs. Uh, we remember his dunk contest where he stuck out his tongue and extended his arms, and that's where Nike got everything from him and created the Air Jordans. He is the epitome of professional basketball, and he is a Tar Heel nonetheless. Must remember your roots. Michael Jordan was crowned the greatest before he ever even retired from the game. I wanted to be like Mike. In fact, I wanted to be better than Michael Jordan. I wanted to achieve greatness like no other, to be the best of the best, and to be enshrined eventually in the NBA Hall of Fame. And as you can see, that didn't work out so well for me. It was the Rolling Stones who said, you can't always get what you want. That is true. God called me in a different direction. God shaped uh, my career path by calling me into ministry And even when I was called into ministry, after I had graduated from college with a Bible and religion degree, I still wanted to be the greatest. I wanted to be the greatest preacher that there ever was. I wanted to be a prolific author, uh, selling lots and lots of books, helping the church. I aspired to be great at what I was doing. Unfortunately for me, being young and naive, my ambition was more about me than it was about serving God or serving others. I find the truth is, is that all of us desire greatness. We all want to be successful at something, 
And we all want, in some ways, to better ourselves. As we conclude our sermon series today, we come to this last phrase of our mission statement that says, and serve the world. And it doesn't say anything about achieving greatness. But Jesus does have something to say about that in Matthew's gospel, especially in the text we just read together. Jesus tells us this. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. You see, our scripture today begins with a loving mother who wants the very best for her two sons. I mean, what loving mother or father, for that matter, doesn't want their children to be successful in life? And so she approaches Jesus and bows down before him with a favor to ask of him. And so he says, well, what is it that you want? And she responds by saying, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. She desires special privileges for her sons, an opportunity for James and John to rise above the other ten disciples and govern in Jesus' coming kingdom. Now, if my mother had ever done such a thing, I would have been embarrassed and upset with her for doing that. But mom has stepped into the picture. She has helped instigate an opportunity to pull Jesus aside and potentially get her boy's first dibs on the royal throne. But here's the thing. James and John are also in on the plan. Jesus knows, too, that she doesn't really know what she's truly asking for. If you notice in Matthew's gospel, Jesus responds and it says, Jesus said to them, Mom, James, and John, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus is right in what he says. They don't know what they are asking of him. You see, just before our text this morning, Jesus tells us in Matthew uh, that he is going to Jerusalem. And on the way to the Jerusalem, he pulled his disciples aside and he began to teach them that the Son of Man would suffer, that he would be arrested, that he would be arrested by the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he would not only be arrested, but that he would be crucified, that he would die, and that he would rise again on the third day. Yet somehow this message that Jesus has given them, as plainly as he can give them, is not sinking into their heads. They still seem to think that they're going to Jerusalem and that Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman occupiers and establish an earthly kingdom. And when Jesus asks them if they can drink the cup that he's going to drink, they are completely unaware of the extent of his suffering and punishment that he will endure. He's not talking about drinking a royal cup. Rather, he's talking about his impending torture and death. He knows that they too will face a martyr's death, but they're still unaware of what they're asking of him. They desire greatness, not through suffering and service, but in a new status of power that they want Jesus to give them. Well, apparently it didn't take very long for the other ten disciples to find out what had actually transpired. And when they heard the news about what James and John were trying to do, they became very furious with them. You see, Peter, James, and John were three of the twelve disciples that were in an inner circle with Jesus. While Jesus was close to all of his disciples, Peter, James, and John seemed to be the three in which he really invested some quite intimate time with them, allowing them to participate in things in his ministry that the others weren't privy to do so. 
They were with Jesus when he raised a dead girl to life in that room when it happened. They were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus' glory shone before them and Moses and Elijah showed up on the scene. They have been able to witness things that the others have not. And now two of those three are jockeying for position, leaving the other behind and the others behind. Using their mother as a shield to manipulate Jesus for personal gain was seen as a deceitful tactic with no regard for the others. And I wonder, are these disciples mad at James and John for what they requested of Jesus? Or because they were smart enough to beat them to the punch. Nonetheless, literally, a come to Jesus meeting occurs, which is called by Jesus himself. He says, self-centeredness and prideful ambition have no place in the kingdom of heaven. And so he tells them this. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His point is very clear. The Gentiles, those occupiers, they rule with a tyrannical power. They jockey for position, and they create a distinction between the haves and the have-nots. That's the world that the disciples live in. That's what they see on a day-to-day basis. But it is not the way that Jesus has called them to live. Not so with you. In other words, Jesus is saying this must not be the case with you. Instead, he instructs them, whoever wants to be great must be the servant of all. In fact, the Greek word here for servant is diakonos. And in the church, we understand that word to be interpreted as deacon. Deacon. But Jesus is not talking about an office and title in the institutional church. Jesus is talking about service in the form of a table waiter. A table waiter. Now, when I was in college, I used to wait tables uh, during the summertime. And when I was on break, I would come back home here to Boone. And I actually waited tables at a restaurant that's no longer called this, but the Parkway Cafe at Shops on the Parkway in Blowing Rocks. If you ever went to the shops over there, it was the little restaurant that sat right there in the middle next to the bathrooms. You couldn't miss it because if you went to the bathroom, you'd smell the food. And everybody would come in to eat there. And I remember waiting tables, and I remember that waiting tables is really hard because if you've never done it before, uh, those who, 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 who are in the service business and do this, they don't make minimum wage as you know it. They get paid much less. I probably made $2.50 an hour, so I was completely dependent upon the tips that I received from those whom I served. And I have to tell you, there are some people who can be really difficult to serve. They will run you ragged, and no matter what you do, you cannot please them. There are some who come into the restaurant, and even though you hand them the menu that says, here are the items that you can eat, they like to make up their own menu saying, can I substitute this for this and this for this? No. And then it's the waiter's fault. Waiting tables is hard. There are many who have no regard for the service that they receive. Some of them are quite messy, leaving Stuff all over the table, scattered all over the booth and in the floor for you to clean up. 
And while it's customary to tip the waiter, there are some who leave barely anything and sometimes nothing at all. In some ways, it's a thankless job. And yet Jesus calls his disciples to be table waiters of one another. And then he takes that a step further, and he says, not just that, you must be slaves of one another. Jesus is turning everything upside down. The world that they know, he completely reverses it and says, greatness is not about status, but it's defined by servanthood, which is completely opposite of what the world teaches you to do. And they understand very clearly that there are slaves and that there are thrones. And they want to be on the throne, not at the beck and call in service to others. They would rather give the orders than take them. But that's not what Jesus tells them. His message is centered actually not on moral platitudes, like this is a good thing to do, but on his life. Matthew says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Service is defined by what Jesus does for us. Service is not about self, it's about others. And Jesus comes to us, the Son of God, as a servant. And he was and is always waiting on others. His ministry in itself wasn't about gaining fame for himself so that he could be the greatest in Israel. If so, there was no need for him to die on a cross. He could have easily ushered in a revolt as expected and been accepted by all of the religious leaders who wanted him dead and appeased them. And surely he could have come Israel's king and long-awaited Messiah in the way that they expected it to take place. But instead, his ministry was focused on serving the needs of the poor, the afflicted, the oppressed, the marginalized, showing a new kingdom way of living, bringing the kingdom of heaven up here down to earth so that we could see a new way of living together. He modeled this way of life. And as he talks to his disciples, he is about to, he knows what's coming, and he is about to show them the full extent of his service as he willingly gives his life in exchange for theirs and for ours. And yet there are many who are waited on who do not appreciate his service no matter what he does. In John's gospel, we get a different picture of this as Jesus is with them on what we call Monday, Thursday, the night of the Passover. John gives us a different picture in which Jesus actually bends down and takes a basin of water and a towel and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And after he does this, he tells them, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus turns the values of the world upside down, reversing our perspective of greatness and calling each of us to follow in his lead. But the truth is, we still live in a world that values greatness in the same manner that the disciples 
understood it originally. Many will stop at nothing to gain an edge on others. There are still mothers who want the very best for their children. The recent college admission scandal involving celebrities such as Felicity Huffman and even Lori Laughlin remind us that there is no price that people won't pay to get their children into the best universities, even when their children haven't earned it. College sports scandals involve payment under the table to athletes' families so that these professional prospects will come to their university and their program to give them a leg up over everyone else. On the high school level, it's often parents who contribute large sums of money to the booster clubs in order to secure a spot for their child on the team. In politics, Politicians sell out to lobbyists so that they will help fund their campaigns, often setting aside things that they stand for in order to play the game to get ahead. They even resort to throwing mud at their rivals, tearing others down to get a leg up. See, people will do all kinds of things, compromising their integrity and their character if it gives them an opportunity to rise above others, maybe in their careers Maybe it'll put them in the spotlight. We live in an age of interconnectedness, of social media, in which one day you can be a nobody and the next day you can be a somebody. Self-promotion is rampant in our world, in our culture. Just ask the thousands of Instagram models or YouTube sensations or TikTok celebrities. In fact, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, ask your children and they'll tell you who is famous because they're on this stuff and they see it every day. Did you know that the, that the largest paid YouTuber okay, in 2019 was not an adult, it was an eight-year-old child? named Ryan Kaji. And you know how much he earned being on YouTube? $28 million. $28 million. You see, parents still want what's best for their children, don't they? We live in a different world, but not a world that's divorced from the time of Jesus. The same principles apply, the variables change. And our text reminds us even today that it was Jesus' disciples who sought the same greatness that the world offered them. That means, I suppose, that even Christians, those who follow Christ, can even do the same types of things. Titles such as deacon or elder can simply be accepted as a position of status or power in order to have some personal gain in the life of the church. Now, Presbyterians love committees. That's what makes us truly Presbyterian, right? We do everything from the ground up and in committees. But you know, it would be easy, a whole lot easier, if we decided to go around those committees, telling others that they really don't matter, that our agendas and what we want is more important, trying to pull things to the side and to have a separate committee outside of the group. Surely we wouldn't do that in the church. But it's weird to me because that's exactly what James and John did. Jesus reminds even us 
not so among you. He reminds his disciples then and both now that he's come to serve us, and he commands us to serve one another, the church, and even those beyond the church, the world. John 3.16 reminds us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. This is the context for us to serve the ones who are easy to love, but also to wait on those who are messy, unappreciative, and who may not even say thank you. Peter reminds us, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Vicki was right. God has given us gifts in the church, spiritual gifts to serve one another and to build the church up. We recognize that God's called us to a place of unity, united us by his spirit to serve together, not above one another. The church of Jesus Christ is not seeking greatness as individuals, but greatness for the glory of God. And our collective call is centered on the absurdity that the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all that exists, humbled himself and became a human being in Jesus who sought us out and stooped down and was willing to wash our dirty feet. His radical and unconditional love moved him to serve his creation. Speaking of Jesus, the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In the Greek, there's a word used for self-emptying here in this passage called kenosis. And literally, it means that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity in order to serve us. Jesus refused to use his status, his power, that he could have easily used for his own gain. He didn't seek to get an edge or become great in and of himself. He used it to serve us. You see, I wanted to be like Mike. I wanted to be the greatest of all time. I wanted, in some ways, to be worshipped and idolized, remembered even after I was gone. But thank God that didn't happen. I'm thankful that the God of heaven and earth had a different plan. The God of heaven and earth called me into his love and claimed me as his very own, who saved me and redeemed me in his death and resurrection, and who sends me out willingly to serve in his name. Because we find in Jesus that greatness is no longer about ourselves. It's not about elevating myself up above others for worship and for fame. It's about serving others in Christ's name so that Christ might be made famous and so that people might understand who this God is. John the Baptist testified in John's gospel, he must become greater, I must become less. 
You see, that's what it's about. That is our call together to point people to Jesus in our service. We don't just serve to serve. We do it with a purpose so that people might know the Lord of heaven and earth who has come and set aside his own power to serve us. That is our collective call that he must become greater and that we must become less. And it's not to make us less than. That's not what Jesus is trying to do at all. It's about rerouting our perspective so that we can see that life isn't about being served. It's about giving. That purpose and meaning really have purpose and meaning when we give ourselves away as opposed to taking all we can get. We're called, claimed by Jesus Christ as a church. We're called, as our mission statement says, to grow in the love of Christ. Together. To grow. To share the good news that we have received. That we can't earn it. He's gifted it to us. We're called to serve the world in Christ's name. My prayer for us as a church is that we would do that together. Not so that we might get thank yous and be recognized and receive all kinds of recognitions in the community to make ourselves feel good, but to do it in a way that elevates Christ and gives glory to him for what he's done for us. Here in our community, here in this country, and all over the world, as we seek to be faithful together as God's people and God's church. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.